My name is Anthony. I'm the pastor here at Valley Hope. <clears throat> um, it's good to be with you all again. It's, it's weird to miss a Sunday like we did last Sunday. Um, we were hoping that we'd be able to push through in the snow, and apparently we would have literally had to push through in the snow because Old 70 didn't get touched by any sort of scraping implement until uh, Monday or so. So I'm glad to be with you this Sunday. Um, last week, yes, last week, um, I, I got word that um, Miss Betty, who many of you know, some of you were in a small group with her, she, um, she died um, in her home. She'd been sick for quite some time. And uh, I got an invitation to come and be at her funeral, which was Thursday. <clears throat> and uh, there's a few of us from, from Valley Hope there. And uh, Miss Betty, if you knew her, she probably knew her for her laugh uh, and her food. That was my, my experience with her. And uh, it was good to be with others who've known her for far longer, loved her for far better, and to hear the exact same things, that she had loved uh, other people's children as well as she'd loved all the kids in our small group and loved cooking for people. And, you know, I was thinking of her as we prayed that part for the people who have departed, who have died, and who have received their rest. It is good to think of Miss Betty receiving her rest with Jesus, that she... Uh, she doesn't have to, to be tired anymore, and that's never going to be her story anymore. You know, it's a, our congregation is pretty young. I don't know if you've noticed that. <clears throat> Lots of younger people. And uh, that's great. I love that. Uh, I, don't, I don't have to go to many funerals. But there is something so um, bracing about a funeral for somebody who's loved Jesus and been loved by Jesus. Because one, you're reminded, that's going to be me someday. I don't know when. Hopefully many, many years from now, but that's going to be me. And here is somebody's hope who, who, that could not be extinguished in the face of death. And, um, you know, Thomas Chapel is an AME church, um, an African-American church predominantly, and uh, to be surrounded by so many people who have felt the pressure to give up hope even before death, but can stand at the grave and sing triumphantly that Jesus is surely going to carry you into hope. Um, it was just, it was a blessing. I'm sad that Miss Betty is gone, truly. But I am, I was so moved and blessed by her funeral, mostly because of the, the wonder, the power, the strength of Jesus, who can sustain both her, even now into eternity, and, and us, the people that she left behind. So um, this Advent season, let's talk about death. Let's do it, just like everybody wants to do. Um, this morning, we're going to be in the book of Zephaniah which is a, a little book you may not even have known there was a book of Zephaniah 
Um, it's not Zechariah, not misspeaking. It's Zephaniah. Uh, it's near the end of the Old Testament. So if you can find Matthew and then turn left a little bit, um, go before Zechariah, Haggai, and then Zephaniah is just before that. We're going to be right at the end of Zephaniah's book. It's a small book. It's in the Minor Prophets. This is the very end, starting at verse 14 of chapter 3. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save you. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by His love. He will exult over you with loud singing. I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at that time I will deal with all your oppressors, and I will save the lame and gather the outcasts, and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time I will bring you in, at the time when I gather you together, for I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord." Let's pray. Lord Jesus, You are the one who will come with a brightness that outshines the morning. You will be the returning King. And Father, we pray this morning that You would prepare us for that reign, for that rule. Help us to be listening to You, our hearts to be soft and open before You, that Your Word might pierce us, shape us, and change us. We pray that Your Word, more than anything else, would ignite our affections for You. Make us to love You, Lord Jesus, if our hearts have grown cold. We thank You for this, and we trust that You'll do this by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. <clears throat> the, uh, the book of Zephaniah is probably one uh, that you've not spent much time in. It's like several of the minor prophets. You could sit down and read the whole book very quickly. If you want to feel good about yourself and read a whole book of the Bible, this is one you put on the list because you can get it done real quick. <clears throat> and uh, Zephaniah as a whole is building to this conclusion, but it comes at you sideways, this end, this end of the book of Zephaniah. And I'm not going to read for you the whole book of Zephaniah. I'm going to pull some of the other passages from this little book just to help you get a sense of how surprising this ending is. Because actually, you think that this sounds like, oh, Zephaniah, he seems like a cheerful guy. This sounds nice. God is singing for His people, and He's with them, and that's wonderful. Well, Zephaniah's book is mostly about how the day of the Lord is coming and judgment's about to fall. This is how, this is how the book of Zephaniah really starts. I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the, 
from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will sweep away man and beast. I will sweep away the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea and the rubble with the wicked. I will cut off mankind from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. Okay. Little, little different than maybe you would have expected if you start at the end. Zephaniah is, is speaking to Judah at the end of Judah's history before the exile. So Israel was a, a nation it split in half. The northern was Israel and the southern was Judah. And at this point, Israel's gone. They've already been taken over. Judah is all that's left. And this is near the end of Judah existing. And it's at a pretty good time in, in Judah's history relatively to the rest of their mixed bag of a time. But Zephaniah is saying it's coming to an end. And the day of the Lord is at hand. And this is how he describes it. That God's going to come and he's going to wipe everything out. He's going to start with his people in Jerusalem and Judah. He aim, takes aim here says, on the day of the Lord's sacrifice, I'll punish the officials and the king's sons and all who array themselves in foreign attire. On that day, I'll punish everyone who leaps over the threshold and those who fill their master's house with violence and fraud. This is how he talks about Jerusalem, his people. And then he, he moves on. He says, not just Israel that's going to face this judgment. It's all the other people who are arrayed against Israel too. It's all of their enemies. It says, gather together, O shameless nation, before the Lord's decree takes effect, before the day passes away like chaff, before there comes upon you the burning anger of the Lord, before there comes upon you the day of the anger of the Lord. The anger of God is going to be aimed at not just Israel and Judah, it's also going to be aimed at Israel's enemies. That part, that was good news. They liked that part because that means all those terrible people, the, the Moabites and all those other ones that are in this chapter in chapter 2 and all of Israel's history, they're finally going to get theirs. God's going to come and deal with them. They like that part. But the message is not that just those people, but it's all people will be subject to the day of the Lord when God comes in darkness and anger and wrath to pour out His judgment on wickedness. And this message of, of judgment really comes circling back on Jerusalem. Woe to her who is rebellious and defiled the oppressing city. She listens to no voice. She accepts no correction. She does not trust in the Lord. She does not draw near to her God. Her officials within her are roaring lions. Her judges are eat evening wolves that leave nothing till the morning. Her prophets are fickle, treacherous men. Her priests profane what is holy. They do violence to the law. The Lord within her is righteous. He does no injustice. Every morning He shows forth His justice. Each dawn He does not fail, but the unjust knows no shame. I've cut off nations. Their battlements are in ruins. I have laid waste their streets so that no one walks to them. Their cities have been made desolate without a man, without an inhabitant. I said, surely you will fear me. You will accept correction. Then your dwelling would not be cut off according to all that I have appointed against you. But all the more, they were eager 
to make all their deeds corrupt. Zephaniah is saying, I, I, the Lord has taken care of all of your enemies. Look at what He has done to those who have opposed Israel. Surely you will see that. And you will follow this God of justice and righteousness. And Jerusalem, Judah, does not. They are all the more eager to follow their ways of corruption. And this is what the season of Advent invites us to first consider. Is that the world is in need of judgment. We are are invited to consider, to acknowledge, to name the fact that our world is not right. And what's tempting is to is to do what maybe Zephaniah's listeners did, is to find the portions that don't name us and say, yeah, that's a good word. To pull out maybe Zephaniah 2 instead of 1 or the beginning of 3 and say, you know what, all of those people over there, they do need the judgment of God. Let's bring that down. That sounds like good news to me. And you know what, that's... That's not an inaccurate judgment to look out on the world outside of yourself and see that something does indeed need correction. Something does need judging. Something needs to be set right in this world. You can start a long list of people out there, over there, who need a conflict with the righteous God who will take into account all of their deeds. In fact, the the Psalms are full of that language of looking out at all those other people and saying, you said you would deal with people like this because you are righteous and you are holy, but look at this world that we're living in. So you could pick up the book of Zephaniah and read chapter 2 if you're part of the people of Israel and say, yeah, this, this is a good word. But maybe the most damning indictment in the book of Zephaniah is this dual-pronged pointing at Jerusalem herself. And for us, we must hold up the mirror and then ask the question, is the God who judges and comes in anger and darkness in this day of fury, is this the God we want to come? And unfortunately, we could, we could look at us, the people of God, the place where God has put His name in this new people of Israel. And we, we would have to confess, our people ourselves, we are equally culpable. We have been complicit. We have been participators. We have aided and abetted evil. I mean, I'm reading, I have to read this book for a class. It's a short history of the last 2,000 years, and there's a section on, in every century, there's a section on world history, and there's a section in church history, and in every section, there is this list of the shame that the church has given itself over to. Not only that, also the good, but plenty of bad. We ourselves have, in the name of Jesus, wielded the sword. We have aided and abetted the sexual assailant. We have kept silent what should be shouted. We have have committed 
horrible acts of atrocity with the sign of the cross on our forehead. And then in our own lives, don't you and I need to to be honest and confess? In our own lives, maybe we are not not the murderer. Maybe we're not the one who is actively stealing bread out of the mouth of the hungry like seems to be happening in Jerusalem. But look at us. Look at my life. How have I been complicit with this evil that I say that I want God to come and judge? How have I participated in evil? Don't I need to admit that I am the one that just like Jerusalem can look out and see how God judges evil and yet all the more eager for corruption? Now, we can look at ourselves and we can say, well, it's not all bad. You're you're right. It's true. And here we'll see that in Jerusalem there are people. It's not just everybody is always evil all the time. But aren't you and I predisposed to, to weigh the scales unevenly? To say, you know, maybe, you know, there is some bad there. There's some things on that list. But really, by and large, you know, pretty good. Pretty good. We we are inclined to look over our faults and see our successes. But what we trust about God to judge those people over there is that He sees clearly. That His eye is not distracted. The evil that's in the world is not obscured or hidden from Him. We trust that about Him, about other people. If we trust Him to be that way for other people, can we not admit that he might look at us the same way? And so we, here we are, standing in Advent, listening to the book of Zephaniah, and saying, come quickly? Question mark? Do I want that? Well, here's how the people of God can be Advent people all the time and not stand here with trembling. The wonderful thing about the nature of Advent is that we we are looking forward to the coming of Jesus. Not, as that song said, like a little child, but as the King who will reign and will put an end to the reign of evil. We are looking forward to the day when Jesus comes again in glory, when He is the brightness of the day. And we don't have to look forward to that day in fear because of how this book of Zephaniah ends. The unexpected news that Zephaniah turns to after telling everybody, basically, you better watch out, God is going to burn everything to the ground as he turns and he says, first of all, about those other people. For at that time, I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech, that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord. From beyond the rivers of Cush, my worshipers, the daughters of my dispersed ones, shall bring my offering. On that day you will not need to be put to shame because of the deeds by which you have rebelled against me. For now I will remove from your midst your proudly exalted ones, and you shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountain. 
What Zephaniah says is all those people that are on the list, that all those folks over there that we want to judge, God's going to come and do something to those people over there so that unexpectedly the enemies of Israel suddenly become the people who worship the God of Israel. Their speech is changed. Their their lips move differently. Their tongues sing different songs so that somehow unexpectedly all those people that maybe you and I were hoping would be judged are, are changed to those who love God and worship Him on His holy mountain. And Israel may not have been ready for that news. It wasn't ready for that news. We know that. Are you ready for, for that news? Is your list of enemies populated by people who you cannot imagine God doing something to so that their lips would confess something different, that their tongue would sing a new song? Is your list of enemies populated by people that you simply cannot imagine can have access to redemption? Well, the message that Zephaniah brings is that yes, God will bring judgment, but... What He wants to do is to bring redemption. So who are the people that you pass by? Who are the people who who don't catch your eye at all? Who you actively try to avoid? Who are the people who you house deep anger and resentment and bitterness? It may be people in this room. It may be people outside of this room. I don't know. But all of those kinds of people, the kinds of people that you say, surely not those people, those are the people that God wants to bring into His holy mountain. And not only that, but we have our passage this morning. God turns His attention away from the peoples of the earth and instead looks again on Jerusalem, this city who has actively rebelled and defied Him. And this is what God wants to do. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear Israel. Fear evil. And he says it again. Fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst. This is the whole hope of the biblical story. People, God's people, you and I were made to live in the presence of God. The beautiful picture of the Garden of Eden is not that there is lots of fruitful things. The the beautiful picture of the Garden of Eden Eden is is not just that they are naked and unashamed. The beautiful part of the Garden of Eden is not even that they will never die. The beautiful thing about the Garden of Eden is that there is daily walking with the God who created. That every day, God just comes and just takes a stroll with His people, Adam and Eve. The horrible, horrible thing about the fall is not that they now have to wear clothes. The horrible part of the fall is not that they have to work. They were going to work already. 
It's not that the work is going to be hard. The horrible thing about, about the fall is, is not just that now childbearing is going to become incredibly painful. That, those, are, those are bad things. But the horrible part of the fall is the moment when they have to walk out from the place where God dwelled with them. And the whole longing of Scripture, of the story of Israel, is to somehow come back. Though now we are a people displaced and homeless. Israel was meant to be the place where God's presence dwelt with people in some small, thin slice of that garden home. But even that is ramshackle and eventually will be torn down because the story will say there is something deeply wrong inside of them. And what God is speaking about here is that one day He will set everything right. He will take away the judgments against you and all of the enemies that are assembled against you will be silenced. The mistake of Israel and often our mistake is to think that the enemies are always those people over there. But the truth that keeps coming back to the message of the prophets is there is a really serious enemy inside of you. But here in Zephaniah 3, the message is even that enemy will be silenced. This, this is the ultimate end toward which people are made for. This is the ultimate end of humanity. This moment when you and I can sit in the presence of the God of Israel, the God, the Creator God of the whole world, and it is His face that lights up the day, and we do not have to hide from Him. It is no longer the story of God strolling through the creation asking, where are you? And us responding, we have hidden from you because we were afraid. There is no more fear in the future that Zephaniah paints. There is no more fear because somehow the God of Israel has both made the enemies one of us and made us free of enemies. That somehow we are able to once again hear what we were made for, which is the delight of God. We were made to hear God's delight over us that, that is driving His song, the song that He is singing, and we are finally free and uninhibited in our response of delight. He delights in us, and we respond in delight in Him. And in this scenario that Zephaniah is presenting, we are at peace. We are at rest. This season of Advent is to stare square in the face of darkness. To say we have often wondered in our lives and for the world around us, where is God? And at the same time, we hold tightly to the promise of God that He has not absconded from the scene. He is fully aware. He sees clearly and He will do something to set all things right, both without and within. And He will do it by His Son, Jesus. The wonderful thing about Advent is we spend four weeks talking about judgment, about darkness, about longing for God to come and set the world right, is that it ends 
and Christmas. We are not marking the days down until Christmas. We are marking our time forward as an Advent people and being reminded that the one that we are longing to come and set things right, He is one that came small and frail like us because that is the nature of this King who rescues us. He is the God who says, I will burn everything down in judgment at the same time that He is the God who says, I will be as one of you and be the one upon the upon whom the judgment falls. It is not a mistake or an accident that the seasons are aligned this way. Zephaniah's song is what you and I were made for. This Advent season, I would invite you to pay attention to that longing. To pay attention to the the peace that you crave. And to do not be deceived into thinking that you can do something out in this commercial season, that you can do something to fix your life all by yourself, and if you just would order things properly, you can set things right in your life and taste this thing that you are craving. That thing that you are craving is only fulfilled in Jesus. The peace on earth that somehow everybody's singing for at this time of year and putting on banners, whether they're Christian or not. Peace on earth. That thing that everybody wants is a good and godly thing. It is the thing that you were made for, and it is God Himself who will deliver it to you. The darkness that you see and that you feel and that you are trying to combat with lights and twinkling tinsel and all the other stuff, the darkness is real. And it is serious and is grievous. And God will surely do something about it. All those people that you are trying to figure out how to reorder in your life, how to approach them with generosity or steer far away from them because you can't stand them. Even those people that maybe you will never figure out how to handle. This Advent season, you're supposed to be reminded that God can change the speech. He can make their lips move differently than you would expect that though you have given up hope for that person and that person and this relationship and that relationship, this God is the God who is able to move out to the margins, to the dark places, and to even Even those people bring praises from their lips. In all the places where you feel that you are never going to be settled, know that you are maybe going to be teetering in this place of waiting for the rest of your life. It may forever be Advent for you about this thing or that thing, but you are not to lose hope. My Bible reading for the year, I'm finally in the book of Revelation. read the first three chapters of Revelation today, and Jesus is giving these messages to these seven churches in the Mediterranean world. And, you know, if you read them all together, you can see this one constant theme. Endure. Endure. And maybe that is where you are this morning. You are just enduring. You are barely making it. For you, my friend, Advent is your season. You are actually being reminded of the truth of your life and mine. 
that this is where we are, the time between the times, the time between Jesus' first advent and his second. And maybe if all you can do is endure, that is enough. May you and I be reminded to endure with hope that God will surely fulfill all of your longings, bring rest to you and to me, that He is the one who can silence your enemies and bring you home. When you can see that hope and accept that place of endurance, then we can pray with the, the same prayer that the church has always prayed, the prayer that ends the book of Revelation. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we, we can see the darkness spread out before us. We can see the darkness that comes from within us. And the temptation would be to say that that's all there is that is true about the world. All there is is that darkness. But your word reminds us that is not true. That you are the, the God who made this world and you have not abandoned it. That you are carrying us along graciously and you are carrying us along into grace. Father, I pray for people who are here today who are caught on the horns of this judgment, who feel tangled up in sin and brokenness, who cannot seem to find their way out of the dark. Father, I pray that You would comfort them by Your Holy Spirit and also call them to have real and true hope in You. Jesus, we pray that just as we turn on Christmas lights and light our, this Advent candle, Father, You would light up our hearts. Father, I pray that You would open the ears of Your people, that You would help us to see that Jesus forever marks for us the promise of God to bring delight to His people. Help us to not grow weary. Help us instead to look to the horizons and hope. Lord Jesus, train our eyes to see through the night and to look for the light of Your coming. We thank You that You, you were faithful to Your Father for us. And You will be faithful to us until the end. Help us to lean into Your life. Draw for from your life all the hope that we cannot muster in ourselves. Trust you in your goodness, Lord Jesus. Amen.